Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we'll face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're kicking off our 2021 series, Knowing and Loving God. As we think about the journey that we're all walking, we really believe that God is who we need. He is worthy of consideration. He is worthy of not only our attention, but our very lives. He is worthy of worship. We pray these conversations will faithfully point you to Him and encourage you as you seek to glorify Him in everything that you do. I know your hearts are going to be so refreshed as we consider who God is together and hear from mentors who faithfully point us to His Son, Jesus, in every one of these conversations. Today, we get to hear from Christine Gordon, a.k.a. Chris, co-author of At His Feet Bible Studies, who earned her Master of Arts in Theological Studies at Covenant Seminary. Chris Gordon, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to be here with you. We're just going to have to remember that we're not on Voxer chatting back and forth. Like, this is a professional situation. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I cannot... Go do my dishes, take the garbage out, move the dogs. <laughs> Just talk to Hunter. Oh, that's so great. Well, you are a dear friend to me. People have heard you if they are longtime listeners of the Journey Women podcast because you came on with your counterpart. Can you call her a counterpart? Hope? Absolutely. I call her all kinds of things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys co-author At His Feet Bible Studies, which have been such a gift to me in my season of life with young littles. They're very accessible and yet deep. And I know this conversation today about knowing and loving God is going to be that as well. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to join us and have a conversation about knowing and loving God more. And you have just been such a help to me personally as a friend and a mentor at a distance to really seek to know and love God more. Couldn't think of a better person for the Journey Women listeners to interface with on this topic. But if they didn't have a chance to listen to you share about anxiety and depression in the previous episode, could you tell them just a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yes, I can. Big fans over here of Journey Women, by the way. I, most days I listen to you while I fold my laundry, just so we have that in place. You can pray when you fold laundry and listen to podcasts. The two That's right. That's what we do. <laughs> yes. So I live in St. Louis, Missouri, where it is strangely sunny today. That does not usually happen in December. And it's going to be 53, which is awesome. I'm married to Michael. We've been married January 1st. Actually, we just celebrated our 17th anniversary. 
Oh, congratulations. Thanks. You know, we got married on January 1st because we were a little bit older when we got, we were 27 and 28 and all our friends had the day off. So we figured they could come. Hey, happy new year. (laughs) Yes. We have three children. Elliot is 15. Elsa is 13 and Ezra is 10. And what's weird is when your kids get a little older, I know a lot of your listeners, you have littles. Elliot is 5'11". And so he's a giant. He weighs 145 pounds. And I bought him a pizza for lunch yesterday. It was a medium and he ate half of it on the way home. So that's weird. That's coming. That's incredible. Yeah. So we need to start penny pinching for the pizzas. Okay, yes. got it. Put money away for the food now. I write Bible studies with Hope Blanton, who is a counselor in San Antonio, Texas, but we met in Lincoln, Nebraska. Hmm? That's when we started writing just for the women in our church. And that is my favorite thing to write and to teach the Bible. I can't believe I get to do it. It's wonderful. And I also, in sort of a small part-time job, I'm also the intake coordinator for a counseling practice here. So I'm the one you call when you're like, this is awful. I really need to talk to someone or we're in crisis or I don't know, I need a second perspective or so I'm the one you go through to find the right counselor. I've called in for counseling before and I'm like, I mean, you don't have any appointments available? Right, right. That's right. That's right. We get everything from I need an appointment and that's all I learn to like 30 minutes of the story. And that's fine. You know, just depends on where they are. Absolutely. Well, I guess listeners can go back and hear the history of how we became friends, but you've really been such a grace to me as I've been really seeking to wisely navigate the things that the Lord has set before me specifically with Journey Women. And so much of that has just been really going back to, okay, Hunter, what do you know to be true about who God is? How are you going to find a way to like love and know him more through this? I'm so grateful for the way in which you continue to orient our conversations around him. Tell me, Chris, when we're talking about who God is, knowing and loving him more, how much of God can we actually know? And how do we get to know him? I've thought a lot about this question, and I don't mean this to sound snarky at all. Let me just put that out there. Give it to me straight. I think we can know enough. And here's why I say that. I want us to have a paradigm for this whole conversation. I think, you know, there are several paradigms that are used in the Bible for how we know God. There's a wife and her husband. There's child and parent. I think that's probably the most helpful. There's shepherd with sheep. I want to use the child with parent. And if you think about, let's talk about Hadley, for example, and how she knows Brooks, your husband. She can know a lot about him because of her interactions with him. And first of all, we got to talk about knowing. When we talk about knowing God, we talk about it in a relational sense. We don't talk about him like the periodic table or like tax law because he's a person. This paradigm of God as our father, just like we could say Hadley knows Brooks. She knows a lot about Brooks, Mm -hmm. but Hadley's a child and Brooks is an adult who has multi-layered responsibilities and lots of different relationships with people in the world. She can understand a lot, but she's never at her level. She is never going to understand the complexities of Brooks' life. But that's okay because what she can understand is that when daddy comes to hold my hand, I can trust him. When daddy loves me, he does it well. When daddy hugs me, he doesn't hurt me. Daddy gives me the food that I need. He comforts me when I'm sad. She can know enough to know that she can trust him, though she does not understand Brooks in his fullness. And I think that is the paradigm that we can use. We can know enough about God. We are finite. He is not. And unlike where Hadley's going to grow up, 
mm-hmm. and eventually get to a place where she can understand the complexities of Brooks because she'll be more like Brooks. We will always be finite. We are never going to turn into God, though there is going to be redemption. And so in that way, we will never know the fullness of God. And that is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he has revealed himself in so many ways in his kindness, his compassion, his justice, and his mercy, we can know enough. That's what we can know. Mm. What are the primary ways that God actually gives us to know him? Yeah, here's what's crazy is a a question we could add to that is, does he want to be known? Here is the crazy thing about an everlasting, infinite God who does not need us is the fact that he wants to be known. And the ways that he makes himself known are so complex. So that I I was thinking in terms of, this is going to sound a little funny, but if I said to you, Hunter... I really have a hankering for fried chicken and I feel like I want something that is finger licking good. (laughs) Where would you tell me to go? Oh, you know what? I don't even have a framework (laughs) for that up here in New England. All right. I was going to say, it's maybe not (laughs) happening, but the places I've lived, if you want chicken that's finger licking good, you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken because that is their, (laughs) that's their ad campaign. You know, it's been around since I was a kid. I don't think there's a KFC up here. I really don't. Oh, that is. <laughs> <In a minute. laughs> let me just say that's sad. But because I love some fried chicken. But if if the only reason I know that is because Kentucky Fried Chicken for years has had this massive ad campaign. It's on billboards. It's on commercials. It's on the backs of boxes. I mean, it's everywhere. So that yeah. I know it. It's as if God has launched this massive PR campaign. Yeah. To show us who he is because he wants to be known. He does it in the skies above. He does it in the stars. He does it in his word. He does it in Jesus. And this speaks to your question. How do we know him? He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And theologians will talk specifically about two categories, general revelation and special revelation. Mm-hmm. General being nature. You know, this is Psalm 19. The stars proclaim his name. You can't miss it from any language. Also, our consciences, we think about Romans 1. Men have known him. They can't help but know him from the beginning. It's this broad category. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There is a way in which all men are accountable because he has made himself known through the stars, through nature, through all these things. And then there's special revelation his word and the incarnation. So those are the two, if we're talking about big theological categories and how are we going to know him? How does he make himself known? Those are the big ones, those two. So when you're saying the word, can you be a little bit more specific about what his word is? And when you say the incarnation, what are you referencing there? So the word being scriptures, the Holy scriptures that are inspired and incarnation being Jesus coming. Mm -hmm. As a human. So like John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And then we go down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Yeah. So the word has always existed. Here's the word. We get it, you know, through, that's a whole nother episode, which you've already done. How did the word come (laughs) to be? And then we get this picture of the word walking among us or tabernacling among us that he came and walked among us as a human so that we read it, we study it, we sing it, and then we watch this man as he walks around God in the flesh. Those are the two most clear 
ways that we're going to see him. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That is what I'm talking about because we are going to unpack so much of that in this whole series, which you guys really encourage me to embark upon, you and Hope both. And so it feels really big, but it's also so exciting because that's what we're going to talk about. We're centering these conversations around who is God? How can we know him? And what ways has he revealed himself? And like, let's dig in and press in there. So yes, why is that important? What are the results of having a skewed or inaccurate view of God? Here's where we come to sometimes come get into this conversation with well-meaning Christians who will say, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. They'll say to me when we start talking about theology in any way, don't give me doctrine, mm. just give me Jesus. Yeah. And I get where they're coming from. I get the heart behind it, which is don't get me into controversial conversations where people Mm -hmm. are infighting within the church. Just give me the lover of my soul. Just give me the shepherd of the sheep. I hear where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. The problem is anytime you try to talk about who Jesus is, who God is with any kind of substance, what you're doing is theology. You're seeing to your kids, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. You're doing theology. So another way you could ask your question, what happens when we have a skewed view of God? Another thing we could say is what happens when you have bad theology? That's what you're asking. And the answer is bad theology hurts people. It always hurts people because how we know God and what we think of him trickles down to every other part of our life. It trickles down to what do we think of ourselves? What do we think of our relationship with him, his relationship to us, his relationship to the world, our relationship to the world, everything, everything is affected by what we think of him. And so if we have bad theology, it's going to hurt us eventually. And it could be on lots of different levels. So here's an example, just a general example. And we could talk about this all day. Let's, let's say Your theology tells you that the only vocations that matter and are recognized and legitimate before God are ministry oriented or helping oriented. Okay. And let's say you're a person who loves God and you want to serve him. So if this is true, then suddenly your options are limited to about maybe seven careers, right? You can be a missionary, doctor, pastor, counselor. That's it. But what if you're really gifted at something else? What if, let's say you're an artist and you're gifted at making beautiful things and showing other people beautiful things. So you have been uniquely made this way, but you think the only way you can give him glory or please him is if you're on a foreign mission field. Okay, so you're going to end up either, number one, not using your gifts and resenting that you have to spend the majority of your life doing this thing that you're not made to do. Or you're going to end up, number two, becoming an artist, but you're weighed down by this guilt and shame because you're not doing one of the legitimate kingdom jobs. Bad theology hurts people. I could give you a thousand other examples, but it's always going to do damage. Well, you know, I'm not an artist, but why do you have to get so personal with that one? (laughs) (laughs) I am seeing how bad theology or how an inaccurate picture of who God is is impacting my family. We're facing this major transition moving to a place that I just wasn't expecting. I have been spewing so much anger and resentment and bitterness. Many of those emotions have just landed on Brooks. And it's not only hurting me, (laughs) not remembering who God is and the way in which he has provided for me time and time again. When we've moved to places 
that we didn't think seemed on paper, you know, like a desirable place to be. And yet he continued to show himself faithful and has continued to do that time and time again through our many, many moves. Mm -hmm. And I am failing to remember that. So I see that in my own life. And I guess I just want to orient this conversation from a humble position. Like, we're always learning, right, Chris? Like, do yes. you still see this in your life? Like, you know so much. You know how to speak Hebrew. Like, and yet, do you still do you still see this fleshing out in your life? Oh, my goodness. Of course. Of course. I mean, that's the life of a believer, right? That's what happens, especially that's what happens when we're in the Word is that you never read it twice the same. He's good to us, so he attends it by his Holy Spirit. He teaches us things. There used to be this song that we sang in this church we used to go to called There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. Mm. I love to think about his mercy is so broad. It is not, now the way is narrow, right? But his mercy is wide for his children. In all these places where we get tripped up Mm -hmm. and we don't see, his mercy is broad and wide. That's what he'll do. He's kind to us in that way. Amen. Amen. You see that like all over the text, which is why it's so important to be regularly in the Bible, because it just helps refresh our memories uh, of who he is, not just to us throughout our life, but throughout all of redemptive history. Yes. Obviously, we all want to understand God. We want to know him more. Like I just left, you know, the other room feeling like, man, I just I feel so much like I just, Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want to love you more because I want to love others around me. And I just want to experience the joy of knowing you. Can we ever fully understand who God is? Like, do we ever like arrive? Yeah, I would say, I think the answer is no. But again, see, in our human, in our humanity, we want to fully grasp everything. And part of that is because we want control. And we will never control him. And that also means that we may never fully understand him because even in the new heavens and the new earth, we Mm -hmm. are not going to be infinite. And he is. This is all over the Bible, right? The place where I think it's the clearest is in Job. You know, he's been through this whole ordeal. He's lost everything, his children. You know, he's sitting scratching himself in the dirt with shards of pottery And he's asking God, asking God, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And if you notice, God never, he doesn't answer him. He doesn't give him the why. He doesn't answer his direct questions. And what he says is, it's almost, you know, the first time you read it, you're like, wait, what? This This is not what you expected God to say. And he answers him in the whirlwind. Who is this who obscures my counsel by words without knowledge? Now brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall inform where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he just goes on and on, on and on. And you think it's kind of one of those things that takes your breath away and you kind of take a step back and go, oh, wait. Because what we expect is this sort of there, there, it's okay. Yeah. What we get is this picture of God that is this huge, broad, yeah. uncontainable, I'm not going to give you the answers. I have them, but I'm God and I don't answer to you. And then we find it again in Isaiah that, you know, Isaiah 40, there's this whole, there's this section where he says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or informed him as his counselor? Whom did he consult to? You know, it's all this sort of tongue in cheek, almost sarcastic. Like you really think, you really think you're going to tell me what to do. You have no idea who you're talking to. And then so in that way, We kind of take a step back and go, oh, and it can feel intimidating. But this is where we got to come back to Hadley and Brooks. 
Mm. Is that just like the little girl looks up at her dad and she knows Mm. enough to know he's trustworthy. We don't have to fully understand him to fully trust him. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're going for. Jesus came and lived and died as a human. And the reality is he fully knows us. And that is way more what we need than for us to fully understand him. I come back to the answer. We know enough. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's word. How can we develop a good theology and learn more about God? Yeah, of course, we're going to talk about those two categories, right? So we talked about general and special revelation. And this is where I think a lot of times we kind of say, oh, yeah, there's general revelation. You could look at the sky. Isn't it beautiful? And then we just speed on to special revelation because we know that scripture is so important. And I think that's a mistake because we need to pause and meditate just like we would on scripture, though we're going to hold that at a different level. We can meditate on all these examples. And I say that because Jesus tells us to do it. He says, you know, there are all these places in the gospels where he uses these examples from nature. He's the one who says, consider the lilies. And he doesn't just mean, hey, look, here's a a visual aid. He says, consider, slow down, take some time, think about this with me. He talks about the four soils. He talks about the farmer and his seed. And mm-hmm. I think what we need to do is slow down. Mm-hmm. That, so here's here's some practical ways to do this. I have a, Michael, my husband gave me this, uh, I think it was for Christmas or birthday. I don't know what it was. He gave me this bird feeder that is made of this clear plastic and it has like these little sucky mm-hmm. on stick on things. And <laughs> in my office, I have this big window, which I'm so thankful for. And my desk is right by the window. And it is literally, I stuck this thing on the window three feet from my head. And if I sit really still, if I'm sitting reading or typing or whatever, birds will land like three feet away from me. It's so helpful to me to look up and just look at them and think, yeah, I gave you this seed, but God has kept you alive till today. His eye is on the sparrow. And I think those places of meditating on these things shouldn't be rushed through. It makes so I was a chemistry major for a while in college because I love chemistry. And I love this verse. And so there's this passage in Colossians that I think at some point we had to translate Colossians in seminary. And there's this part that talks about 116. For in him, all things were created, Mm. things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and in him all things hold together. This is what I'm talking about. Like, break it down, things in your life. How do we meditate on these things? Because I was a chemistry major, I used to think, especially when I was a first a Christian, ionic and covalent bonds, okay? These are like what hold the world together and therefore the molecules, the weather patterns, the life cycle of the naked mole rat. I mean, you can, <laughs> all these things that go on it. I just read recently that a new study puts the number of bird species in the world at 18,000, 18,000 kinds of birds. What does this tell us about God? Things like, you know, Planet Earth, that whole series that came out, which I make my children watch and like, oh my gosh, we've seen it before. And that now there's all these new series. I mean, the phosphorescence that happens, the bioluminescence at the bottom of the ocean. What do these things tell us about God? I mean, they tell us a lot. He's creative. He's funny. Have you seen an ostrich run? Oh my goodness. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think slowing down, we can't just rush through general revelation. And this is one of the easiest places to help your children see the wonder of God Mm -hmm. is in the sky, in the animals, in the trees, in the different, I mean, it's everywhere. So don't rush through general revelation, but yes, special revelation. How do we know we read it? We study it. We read it with other people. And the thing that is crazy about special revelation is the Holy Spirit who lives in you, if you're a believer, mm-hmm. he is going to work in you as you read it. He initiates, he attends his word, he illuminates scripture. So we ask him and we welcome him and we say, we're listening. We say, we want to hear you, attend your word, and he's going to talk to us. That's how we know him. It's as if, I'm trying to think who was it who use this example that there are like thousands of images and radio signals in the air going by us all the time. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. And the Holy spirit is the one who gives us this antenna Hmm. so that we can receive and we can understand when we read the word he illumines, he's like this antenna that God has given us so that we can understand. And the other thing I would say, I would add is we get to know his people. This is one of the ways that we can know God. And, you know, we're such this individualistic Western culture, but God is a person and his children, as they grow, are more and more like him. So one way we know him is by getting to know his children. Like, for example, there's this woman in our church. Her name is Phyllis. I love her. She's raised her children. They're all grown. And I tell her all the time, I want to be like you when I grow up. We have a homeless shelter for women in the basement of our church. She works there. She has taken my 13-year-old daughter with her to work there. She's taken my 10-year-old special needs son with her just to enjoy him a couple hours at a time. And as I watch her, I learn about God, that he cares for people who are vulnerable. He cares for people who are not, you know, exciting and like lauded by the rest of the world. This is so... Those are the categories. And I think that one also gets overlooked. Look at the people of God. Look at them as a family. Look at how they love each other. That is one way we can know him. I think that's so helpful as we seek to know him, because I think my temptation, Chris, is I'll bypass asking the Holy Spirit to help me as I study his word. I'll bypass all these other 
avenues through which he has given me to grow in my understanding of who he is like nature, because I just think I just need to open up my Bible and gain more knowledge. But the thing that the Lord continues to work into me is that he's like, no, 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 I don't just want your mind. Yes, we're going to learn and we're going to study and we're going to be diligent, but I want your heart. Mm -hmm. And so much of that slowing down piece and that piece of prayer is really leaning into the reality that he is God and I am not. He Mm -hmm. is God and there is no other. Mm -hmm. Like you said, as much as I want to know him and as much as I want to know about him, so I convey a little bit more clearly who he is to those around me, he is after my heart. And that's what's going to keep me from sin. You know, it's not like knowing more, knowing more facts or knowing more verses. And he will disrupt you. That's what's good about him. Well, that's encouraging because I feel I feel very disrupted ah, all the time. <laughs> he will disrupt you in the places where you try to master him and uh, become him. He will keep disrupting you because he's faithful. I mean, it's it's who he yeah. is. He's after you, and he's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. Amen. Amen. You know, J.I. Packer has been such a help to so many of us who have just really thought in these categories. How do we know God? How do we love God? He has this quote that says, one can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of him. I think that's kind of what I've been getting at with what Mm -hmm. I struggle with personally. What do you think he means when he says that? I think sometimes people, especially now I will say, especially those of us who love to study theology and those in the academic world, yeah, we can have this problem where we start to talk about God like the periodic table or like tax code, that he is a bunch of facts or an ideology. And the problem is he's a person and he's not an idea or a force. So, okay. So you say, well, how do, how do I know a lot about a person? You know, you can do the same thing with a person. For example, I know a lot about Frederick Douglass because this is totally random because I am a middle-aged white woman, but he was my childhood hero. And so I did reports on him. There's a there's an that original so painting of him hanging in my living room oh. that was a present. I mean, I've read his first three biographies multiple times, but do I know? I know a lot about Frederick Douglass and his life, but do I know him? Huh. Nope. I've never spoken to him. We're not in a relationship. There is no give and take with me and Frederick Douglass. (laughs) We are not growing in our intimacy, right? And relationships with a person are based on trust and they're based on secrets and they're, you know, intimacy grows through the time that you spend and heart knowledge happens through connection and conversation and honesty. And that kind of knowledge is not a bunch of facts. And even a, it's not even a good systematic theology. It's a heart of flesh that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. I think that's what he means. You know, and even Jesus said in the Gospels, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he will say in one of the most terrifying sentences Jesus has ever, ever said, depart from me. I do not know you. That word know, that tells us, you know, that the word know, that's the yada in the Hebrew, that the biblical knowing that we read about in Genesis between Adam and Eve, that is that is like married knowing, mm-hmm. which is way different from like periodic table knowing. Yeah. And so, yes, we can know. And my fear is that is what's always been true is a lot of us do know a lot about God, but we do not know him. We don't trust him. There's no intimacy. 
There's not a give and take, push, pull, I cry out to you, I wait on you. And that's a big difference. And that's that's a danger, right? As we study him, for sure. That's definitely something that the Lord is just in his kindness working in me. And I'm so grateful for that. But it is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And I can just go on and on there. But I'd love to hear from you what it is that characterizes people who do know God. Like, what do we see in the life of someone who doesn't just know God, but also who loves God, who has that intimate yada, like you said, knowing of who God is. Yeah, I think they look like him. How would we know that? Because you're like, well, God's invisible. I remember when I was first a Christian, maybe the, I'd probably been a Christian about a year and I came across the verse that talks about how God is invisible. And I remember going, oh my gosh, wait a minute. He's invisible. It was just like, this mind-blowing moment. And then I was so comforted thinking, oh, wait, but Jesus is not. Okay. So what did Jesus look like? There's this sort of family resemblance that starts to happen. And we think about what did he look like as he walked around this? Okay. He was, he was patient and kind. He didn't keep a record of wrongs. He approached people that everybody else rejected. He went after the outsider. He was quick to forgive. When people acknowledge their sin, he cared about the poor and the the marginalized. One of the big ones, I think, that's a big tell is that his actions matched his words. Yeah. So that Jesus had perfect integrity. Now, none of us have perfect integrity, but I think there is this aspect of a believer who has known the Lord. There is more and more of a matching up of their words and their actions. He trusted his father. He loved his father. And it was so obvious. He held the kingdom as the first priority and everything else, you know, came after that. And so I think we take this image and of course we are sinful still, though sin doesn't have the dominion in us anymore. We take that image and we start to see these people who have this family resemblance. And so you see them treat other people with this dignity that maybe the rest of the world doesn't give. They're learning to forgive other people. They have compassion Um, You know, Jesus, John 13, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you start to see this love that that isn't logical. It's not based on like, oh, we're kind of the same. We like the same things. But you see this love between people who are way different, who care about way different things, but their sort of shared horizon is the same because they're putting all their eggs in the basket of the kingdom. So they're still having to live or dual citizens. So they're still having to save for retirement or invest in a good education or, you know, these kind of things, but they probably also give a lot of their money away. Maybe they, they tie, they're giving money to missionaries and there, there should be some, I often say there should be something in your checkbook or your credit card statement that would tell me you're different from the rest of the world. And a lot of times you see, you know, there's this it's growing, And it's not always perfect, but there's this growing faithfulness of understanding this is not my home. And I would say, too, they they have this wrestly relationship with the Lord because the Christian life is a fight. And I think that's something that we we don't necessarily like to talk about. But we we wrestle, we plead, we fight our sin, we cry, we rejoice, we abide in him. We love him. It's this growing intimacy. I think it looks like all those things. Of course, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be fits and starts and our growth is cyclical and it's never a straight line. But I think you can see those. It's so much so that, you know, sometimes 
I meet people that they consist, I see these things and I may not know much of their background, but this happened recently for me with the dry cleaner where I take my husband's clothes. And she just like consistently in our conversation, I just kept seeing things and I thought, I think this woman is a believer. And I finally asked her one day, she said, yeah, and she's English is not her first language, but that's how clearly it showed through in her character. And she said, yes, I am. She told me where they go to church. And so now I check in with her. I pray for her son-in-law who's not a believer. I mean, it's like you see these things and they, they become clear because they're characteristics that shine through, you know? I completely agree. I think living here in this really postmodern context where there aren't as many believers, we just stand out like little beacons of light. It's amazing. I've had really interesting interactions with people, even just having a sense that they were a Christian, just looking at their face. Yeah. Boldly asking and then being like, yes. It's so incredible and so encouraging to see the way that he does work in us as much work as we need. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past, and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. One of the things that I have seen in Christian culture as of late, and maybe you have a much better framework for Christianity and the history of the church, so maybe you can put this in context for us, but when you talk about the Christian life being a fight and a battle, Mm -hmm. I think one thing my generation is really missing, and I have such a propensity for this too, is the reality that we are in battle together. So as much as I want my own personal sanctification. I ought to want that for you. Mm -hmm. So can you speak to that? Like, how does our desire to know and love God also impact the way that we do battle, to use the language that you pulled together? And how much should we want for one another to know and love God? And how should that influence the way that we speak to each other, particularly when we see, hey, you know, sister, you might have a blind spot here in this area in regard to knowing and loving God. What I see Christians doing a lot, especially online, is saying, you're canceled, you're out, you know, Mm -hmm. versus, hey, let me come alongside you and show you what I know to be true of God from his word. Or, you know, let me come alongside you and do battle with you to fight sin with you, you know, like, can you speak to that? Yes. This happened to me when I lived in Africa. You meet somebody from a different culture, maybe you don't even speak the same language and you can't even share a conversation. But if that woman is a believer, you have more in common with her Mm -hmm. than you have with a lot of your countrymen who live in the same state with you. 
And it's because you have a shared horizon because your infinite future is going to be with her. And so I think we got to start there. Like we stake so much of our lives and our claims and our energy and all these things we invest in the here and now, forgetting that we are dual citizens. That's what Paul tells us. We're dual citizens. So what that means is I am going to live with that woman and with you and the person Mm -hmm. who I am fighting with because they think differently politically than I do, or they have different theological agree, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we are going to be side by side in the kingdom. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean now? It means that they are on my team. Mm -hmm. It means that if she flourishes, I flourish because the kingdom is not a zero sum game. It is wide and broad. And there's, you know, you think about the, you think about the pictures and revelation of the people from all the nations bringing in their bounty. And I I love to think about like, there's going to be hand woven blankets from Guatemala and there's going to be really good food from Ethiopia. And there's, I mean, you could just pick all these things from all the world and in their glory That is your destiny, is to walk into the city of God with the glory of all the nations and all their complexities and all their different skin tones. That's your future. So if you think about like, how do we get, you know, you as a leader, if you set your goal out there and you got to work backwards and think, okay, how do we get there? Part of getting there is to work as a team now and know that whatever you have that divides you. It is always secondary to the fact that that is your sister because you've been adopted by God. So what is it? What does it mean now? It mean I mean I've I've actually written an article about this practically, like some of the things that you can do. Now, not all of us are in person right now, so it's it's difficult. But even on a smaller level, when you stand next to somebody at your church who you know has differing political views or even theological views, mm-hmm. I think you look at them while you say the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. I think you watch their children while you sing the hymns together and you remind your heart, this person in this battle, which is death and life, mm-hmm. is on my team. And me getting there has to do with them getting there. And God put us in this place together to be on the same team. I I think that joint horizon has to be where we start. And part of it then, what part of what you can do is you can say to them, you don't have to have this huge confrontation. You don't have to like bring the whole house down. You can just, you can name it and say, hey, I know we have differences here and that's okay because let's just remember that our biggest commonality is a commonality. And let's start there. I think that's the first way to do it. And then when you're talking about other people knowing in the team, part of why it's a big deal that we talk to each other about these things in terms of not doing it on an individual basis. I'm just going to use one of my friends as an example. She has two adopted children who both have very hard issues that I can't really go into, but let me just say they're super complicated. And to watch her and to watch her husband to come back over and over to God and to plead with him and to, you know, ask and beg and pray. Part of what that does is it pushes me on because I go, you know what, that looks awful and really hard, but they're still here and they still believe. And so that means when I have trouble with my adopted, very difficult child, I go, I'm not alone. He's worth trusting. He's walked them through all kinds of stuff that I may have to go through. And look, they're still here. He's mm-hmm. kept them going. And we we need that, right? Yeah. Because yeah, totally. you are going to get to a place in your life if you haven't already 
that you want to throw your hands up and go, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. That happens to everybody. Everybody walks through the desert eventually. And that's when you look at your sisters and go, you know, pray for me, pray mm-hmm. for my faith. I see that you still have it. Mm-hmm. To that end, was there ever a time in your life where you didn't feel like seeking to know and love God? And just can you share a little bit about what it was like for you in that season, maybe just as an encouragement to someone who feels like they're there even now? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's inaccurate to say that everybody will get there eventually. You know, you think about the deserts of the people in the Bible that we read about. Now, especially leaders, seems like there's always a desert for the leaders, right? But for the people of God, like it is not unusual to go through a period of doubt or a period of, I just don't feel like the Puritan writers would have said that unction, the unction of the Holy Spirit. I don't have it right now. I don't want to get up and read. I don't want to listen to a sermon. I don't want to listen to a podcast. I don't care right now. I read the Bible and it falls flat. I think the first thing that they need to know is that everybody needs to know is you are not alone. This is normative. Mm -hmm. It happens, right? So don't freak out and think like God has left me. I've done something terrible. Now there are things we can do. There are some diagnostic questions. I mean, part of it is, have you cut yourself off totally from Christian fellowship? Have you stopped doing all the things? If you do that, then yeah, you're probably going to feel like, I just don't feel them anymore because those are the means of grace. Hmm. You can ask questions like, is there some sin that I'm just holding on to? And so I just, I'm just not going to hear him because I don't want to hear him. We can ask, but I think what we need to hear is that is not always the case. Another thing is when we look at these people in scripture, you know, doubt and fear and all these things are, they are pictured for us in terms of, I mean, Peter is a great example of failure. And you can even talk about Thomas, you know, he said, I think doubt and fear and not kind of knowing where we stand or knowing when we don't feel Mm -hmm. these things or we don't believe they go together. And he's like, yeah, unless I put my hands in his side and see his hands and feet, I'm not believing that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the father of the man who came to Jesus, his son, he wanted his son to be healed. And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I mean, I could mm-hmm. go on. There's all these examples. So I think we need to know, like, this is part of where we are now, that we are going to struggle and there's going to be doubts and that's okay. And I've definitely, I mean, I've had multiple times where I've gone through this. And part of it for me in the particularity of how I'm put together is that it will often coincide with depression when I have a hard time just with all the things wanting to get out of bed. Yeah. Especially hard to get out of bed. And I had this, um, one season where I just, I, I think I may have talked about this with you before. I literally printed out Psalm 130 and taped it on my bicycle and rode around my neighborhood over and over. And one of the phrases from that is, um, I lo- basically, I long for you more than I look for you. I wait for you more than the watchman waits for the morning. And I just rode around and said it over and over more than the watchman wait f- for the morning. Cause I didn't feel him. I couldn't hear him. It just felt like he had left, you know, mm. and you know, some people will call that the dark night of the soul. Mm. Some people call it the desert, but I think it's more normative than we want to talk about. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that he's left. So I would say, this is where we say to our sisters, hey, and maybe you give them specifics. Maybe mm-hmm. you say, will you pray for me every day for the next month? Just pray I'd hear the Lord. Mm-hmm. Pray he'd encourage me. Yeah. Pray that I wouldn't walk away because maybe I really want to. 
And that's not shameful to ask for those things. That is what we do as sisters. Mm. Thank you so much for helping normalize that. Cause I do think, especially for leaders, it can be a point of shame or a point of concern mm-hmm. for those whom they are leading and for the leaders. So I just, I really appreciate you sharing that with us so vulnerably. I know everybody who's listened to this conversation at this point has at least five practical takeaways already, but I would love to hear from you. Do you have a practical step for listeners who are just leaving this conversation and wanting to know and love God more? Yes, I I, I would say two. (laughs) Okay, go. One, find someone to read with you. Yeah, especially I know lots of people are in January and they're thinking about like this year's the year I'm going to read the Bible or <laughs> I'm going to read it through yeah. or whatever, you know, that we, we do this with ourselves every year. <laughs> and, and I struggle in this place too. Like I'm a very goal oriented. Um, uh, I put it on the date and the date in my calendar and that motivates me. That's so interesting. I push back against that so hard, which no one would expect. Right. Oh my goodness. No, I would never no. expect that. It's because that's probably my natural tendency. So yeah. I'm nope. <laughs> yes. not, not going to give in. Not doing it. <laughs> I, I mean, but I think, you know, also one of the things that happens in January often is all these exercise programs. And one of the biggest yes. things that they say leads to the success is that you do it with a friend, a friend who's going to call you, a friend who's going to walk yeah. with you. And the same principle applies here. I mean, I literally this morning had the conversation with my husband. I just read through Isaiah and I finished it. And I said, I know you're reading through the Bible. What plan are you doing? He said, you should read. I'm going to do the read through the Bible in a year plan. I've already started it. And I said, will you ask me about it? You have to ask me about it because otherwise I just won't do it. Yeah. So find a friend. That is one of the biggest helpers and set a schedule that says, I don't mean a schedule on the calendar. I mean, set like a rubric for each other that says, how are we going to ask each other? Let's ask each other, let's text each other on Mondays. Let's yeah. talk about it when we walk on Thursdays and push our bit, whatever it is, like find the time that you're going to check in and set it at the place, not to shame yourselves, but so that yeah. you're, you, you know, you have the check-in. I think it yeah. helps us. And the other thing I would say is find some place that speaks to you in the Bible about God's faithfulness and like, write it down, put it in front of you. Maybe it's Romans eight that talks about, I was going to say that. Yes. Like, like <laughs> he uses all, all things work together yeah. for your good. Or maybe it's Philippians one, six. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. Um, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Uh-huh. Find one of those plate, whatever your favorite is, that's going to remind you because you're going to fail and you're going to get behind and you're going to be like, why am I even doing this? It doesn't matter. And you need some place that reminds you he's more invested in this than you are. Mm-hmm. He, he was, he was doing this working in you before you ever knew to respond even totally, and rely on that. Remind yourself, this is not my deal. This is not my show. It's not me that cares the most about how I am changed. It's him. And he's going to be faithful to that and remind yourself of it when you fail. Cause you will. And that's okay. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. My simple joys, resting in the sovereignty of God. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely one of my big ones. Actually, this is so funny, Chris. I'm going to tell you this now. So I asked Hadley what my three simple joys are. Wow. Let's talk about an illuminating practice and discipline. Ask the people in your life around you what your three simple (laughs) joys are. Because we all have our ideals, right? Do you want to know what she said? Yes. (laughs) 
She said, number one, coffee. <laughs> number two, messaging. Aww. Number three, reading my Bible. So I'm Aww. working to restructure those. Uh, I'm just happy Bible made it on the list, okay? I know. I'm like, that's really impressive. You should have heard Brooks's. I won't sell it here. It's his personal business. I'm just kidding. But what are three of your simple joys about knowing and loving God more? Yes. I have to say I tend to pair things. They make them more enjoyable for me. So one of the things that I've done, my writing partner, Hope, and I are on a sabbatical right now. And so I made myself a reading schedule for about 10 books that I really need. I feel like there are gaps in my theology and just things I need to put back together. So I'm on this reading schedule. One of the things I've started doing is I go pick up my 15-year-old from school at about 3.15 every day. And when I come home, I make a cup of hot chocolate. I'm not even yanking your chain. In my journeywoman mug, I make a cup of hot chocolate (laughs) and I sit down and I read my chapters for the day. And I love it. I sit in my office. I have a red chair. I sit with my fluffy dog and I read and it's so happy. I need to teach Hadley that these things can be paired together. So coffee and Bible reading go together. Absolutely. I was going to say, that's one of my other ones. So my 10-year-old is allowed to come out of his room at 7. So most days I'm sitting about, I don't know, it depends on the day. I try to get up at like 6.20. Yeah. And by 6.30, I'm sitting on the couch with some very strong coffee, my glasses on, and only the lamp next to me on my couch, again, with the dog drinking coffee Mm. and reading the Bible and praying. It's very happy. Yeah. Another one, there is a park about two blocks from my house. Yes. Because a lot of what I do is teaching and writing. It's I spend a lot of time sitting. So if it's nice outside, a lot of times I'll go just take, just walk around that park three or four times. And again, the dog, you notice the dog is making her way into Uh all of these and I will walk around that thing and just meditate on what I've been reading or what the ideas I've been thinking about through scripture or what I, or sometimes if it's not that and I've been doing something else it's beautiful and I'll just watch the birds like kind of you know like what we were talking about earlier and I, it's so helpful for me to move my body and to meditate at the same time that is definitely a simple joy You know, I have some great practical applications after this conversation. You, Chris, have had such a great impact on the way that I know and love God, especially in this season of my life. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? I think last time I said Michael, which is still really true. That's my husband. He's really great. I called him the other day. I called him a beautiful tornado because that's kind of what he's like. (laughs) He just came in and wrecked your life in the best of ways. He really did. He goes about 80 miles an hour all the time. Anything he does is a thousand percent or he's out. He's a lot smarter than me. He thinks a lot faster than I do, but he's so gracious to me. I really, over the years, I feel like a lot of who I am and especially how I see myself is because Mm -hmm. he has been a part of God shifting my paradigm because he is consistently honoring, dignifying. It's just how it is. I'm really grateful. Well, you both challenged me so much, even at a distance. Thank you so much for doing that together with the Journey Women listeners today. It has been a joy to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are so excited to be back with you guys. We hope you'll hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes of Journey Women. 
if you're loving the show, one way you can help us out is to share Journey Women with a friend. If you're looking for helpful discussion questions or any other info from this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com or hop over to find us on socials at journeywomenpodcast. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We're so grateful for them and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here next Monday.